<laughs> I love it. <laughs> How we living, dude? Oh, man, buddy. I'm living the dream in someone else's nightmare. It's not even fair. Life isn't even fair. There we go, bro. There How are go. you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Got a little coffee, so we good. AJ, um, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a retired executive from CrossFit Inc. I don't know if you're familiar with CrossFit, but I, I, I used Absolutely. to work there at a uh, seventy to hundred people working for me, and I was in charge of all the media there. Okay. And uh, after I transitioned out of that, that means I got fired. Um, I've basically just been, I've basically just been chilling and raising my three boys. I have three little boys. Like you're, like you're, you're one of three brothers, right? Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. And I, I watched your whole, I watched your whole series last night. Oh, that, wow, okay. Th- that's really cool that you've surrounded yourself with filmmakers and people like you're giving those people a tremendous opportunity to work with you. But I mean, obviously you're getting something out of it too, but I love seeing stuff like that. Cause I'm, I'm 49 now, but as a, 23 year old uh wannabe filmmaker that's how i got my start just find someone else who's passionate and doing their thing and then hopefully just ride their coattails you know what i mean make the best video you can of them yeah dude it's not even just that though it's like a building kind of thing right it's uh if i look to like somebody who is maybe in your position right now to like try to help me with stuff like that and try to get me accustomed to the ropes of getting your own media your own content and putting it out there they would almost laugh in my face if I offered, you know, what I could actually pay them and stuff like that. But, you know, you get guys who are like in my position, but in another field who are just starting out, but you know, they're passionate about it. You can see that they care about it. And, you know, you can see that they care to get better at it too. Giving them a shot. It's almost like you're, I don't know. It's almost like a, you're kind of building together more than anything, you know? For sure. And and you hope that they're as passionate as you, but the truth is the world's greatest fighter, alive right now is 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 six years old and we just don't know it yet and the same thing with the filmmaker the world's greatest documentary filmmaker could be your guy and and it's not me i'm over the hill i'm 49 so yeah yeah, i love it anyway so 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 about i don't know three or four months ago i was uh someone who i had crossed paths with earlier in life was like hey you should start a podcast and I was like, no, thank you. And they really pushed me and talked me into it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do 500 shows and, uh, and, and that's it. And I'm going to be done. And so I've kind of been piggybacking off of my little bit of fame that I have in the CrossFit community to like build this. But really what I'm interested in is every Saturday night, the only TV I watch is, is fighting MMA. So every Saturday I spend three to four hours just watching MMA. And then I spend a ton of time in the jujitsu gym because I have three little boys, right? And they do okay. martial arts five days a week. So, but I don't know shit about fighting except that it looks scary. So, um, but I'm super into the sport. And um, so uh, the, 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 the people who have no-showed me the most out of 100, so I'm at 140 episodes. I'm going to do 500 and then reevaluate. If I'm not more famous than Joe Rogan, I'm getting the fuck out. Like, <laughs> if you're not the champ in five years, you're like, fuck this. I'm going fair enough, my degree. fair enough. Um, so I, uh, the only people who've stiffed me are hot chicks and fighters and it's tough because the show's oh, live shit. so yeah so so it's uh it's a uh, it, it, super hot chicks and fighters you guys are the most entitled fucks on the planet but not you not aj fletcher wow. the human hey. highlight reel <laughs> that's it dude i'm just we chilling i got my coffee we do whatever bro um man, man you're well should we, let's start with mo and then we'll dig in with you i love dana i don't want to disparage anything about UFC and MMA, there's enough people doing that already. But um, I'm 
that guy he fought was really good. Did you watch the fights last night? Yeah, yeah, I did. I tuned in. I thought that guy he fought was really good. Um, a, a very unique physique, right? Um, tree trunk thick, huh? legs. Yeah. yeah. And um, I thought Mo did a, an amazing job. And I, I had two feelings about it because he won the fight um, in dominant fashion. He won every round, but he didn't get the contract. But um, I was also tripping that, uh, okay, Dana, so maybe you see you're the expert and maybe you and the team see something like, hey, it, Mo really does. I started like putting, trying to spin it in a good light. He has a ton mm -hmm. of potential. He needs a couple more fights and it's for his safety and for the betterment of his career. But then I see that heavyweight who made it in and I'm like, I don't know, man. You got this heavyweight who got a guy on a, a competitor who's on late notice and then compare that to Mo. Like, do, do you have any feelings about it? Like, it, 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 I mean, obviously I'm biased because I've had Mo on the show twice and I love the guy, but. Dude, okay. First of all, be bad. I guarantee you Mo within probably a year, if not, I'd say two years for sure, probably more close to a year. I think Mo is going to be in the UFC. There's no question about it. Dude, he looked, in terms of control in that fight, he looked freaking incredible. The double leg he hit, I think, in the third round where he ducked under the guy and, like, spun and took his – dude, beautiful wrestling. And on the ground, like, he was active the whole time. He was landing punches. He was landing elbows. Like, he was right there. I think Dana sees that he's young, you know, and – like you said, could use maybe a fight or two outside of the UFC or whatever, just to make sure that when he does get in, he's going to go on a run. You know, you don't want right. to, you don't want to start a prospect off too early. I don't want to throw any names out there, but like Sage Northcutt, you know, some of these guys like that, like it happens, you know? And um, yeah, dude, I think, uh, I think another fight or two and Mo's going to be in the UFC. No question. In terms of the heavyweight, I would say he probably did that. I think there's less heavyweights going around than there is bantamweights, if that makes sense. So yep. maybe the the level or the bar was maybe a little bit lower. Um, that dude was good. Fair. He, it, I definitely, I know they're heavyweights, bro, but I'd like to see a little bit more of like a, a gas tank, you know, to carry him through. I know it's, you know, it's rough and all, but like, uh, I don't know, man, it was, he was good. He got the finish, you know, he, or supposedly got the finish. There was some controversy with the tap, right? Um, I don't know. I think where Dana's head was at, though, if I'm if I'm picking it apart. Yeah, I like that. For those of you who don't know, um, AJ is a professional fighter. There's a show um, called the Contender Series, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, the UFC. For those of you who don't know, uh, basically, it's their show. And AJ came on the show in week one. Oh uh, yeah, week one, first fight. And um and and had a really really tough fight. I mean, like, like I mean. It wasn't tough for you, but that guy's a beast. Well, yeah, that guy is a savage. And uh, what you did to him was, I mean, arguably the greatest knockout I've ever seen in the five or six years. Oh. Crazy, right? Yeah, dude. It's, it's wild. I, uh, I'm still trying to, you know, figure it all out and believe that it happened, you know. But, uh, yeah, Leonardo was tough, dude. We knew going into the fight that – um, he throws hard shots. He likes to get guys against the cage. Like he got me a couple of times and just wing some shots, come in with some wrestling, take you down. And like you said, he's a big, physical, strong guy. So once he gets you, he's confident ground, you know, and he's confident. Yeah. He, he wasn't scared of you at all. Uh, -uh. He was ready to come forward. And uh, we kind of knew that. And I knew, I knew I wanted to use movement in this fight, but I also knew I had to let him know that 
hey, I can throw I can throw some shit too. I can I can you know sit down on my punches and wing a shot or something too. So straight off the jump, the first thing I threw was like it looked like a wild overhand, but that was like and I think he actually tagged me on the counter. Um, but I wanted to show him like, hey, I've got some I got some pop too. And uh, the fight just kind of developed and um, took him down once and then kind of knew in his head that maybe he thought I wanted to wrestle and stuff like that. And then basically use what's called a level change where you kind of uh, sink down low under your haunches um, and kind of fake a takedown. And uh, whenever you do that, it also loads up for, you know, a jump whenever you sink down into your squat like that. So I used that and then, you know, came up with a flying knee. And long story short, it was, yeah, it was a wild knockout and, and Dana Dana told me it was going to be number one on Sports Center and threw it up on Sports Center. It's yeah, it's it's been wild, man. I I know a lot of you watch fighting and some of you don't watch fighting, but oftentimes, and I'm making this shit up. I have no idea if it's true, but 50 percent of the times you see knockouts like that, it was an accident. By an accident, I mean it's just two guys just like schoolyard fighting. Like it, it gets really intense and people are just throwing shit and someone walks into one and gets knocked out. This was not one of those <laughs> knockouts. This was a very perfectly executed and, and as you just shared with us thought out um movement and uh it delivered right to the target it was incredible if you guys haven't seen this you guys should google it not now not now ah shit <laughs> open up another It'll... window and google, and google it now do it aj fletcher uh contender series it just pops up number one um baton are you born in baton rouge louisiana mm-hmm. yeah and and your parents are still together yeah, yeah, they're still living there at the same house I grew up in, pretty much. And uh, and and you're you're the third of three brothers. Yep, yep. I am the caboose. And uh, you're 24 years old. That's right. Um, t- tell me, tell me about growing up and and being born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Like, how how big was the town? What was your elementary school like? Just tell me about if you can about growing up. If you get stuck, yeah. I'll, trust me, I'll have questions. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, so Baton Rouge is, I would consider it, it's definitely not as big as New Orleans. Um, it's not as dense as New Orleans, but I would say in terms of Louisiana, it's, I think it's bigger cities for sure. Like maybe top three for sure, top five, 100%. Um, and yeah, I don't know. We uh, we lived kind of on the outskirts. We weren't like, you know, deep into the city, kind of on the outskirts away from downtown and stuff. And a lot of, uh, at least from what I can remember, a lot of my childhood was, you know, sports in the front yard with the older two brothers. Um, before I was in my formalized sports, it was it was going to their sports games, going to their football games and, you know, sitting on the sideline and um, half the time playing my own games on the sidelines. And then, you know, when I got of the age that I could start playing sports, I played football, soccer and baseball pretty much all the way through the end of high school. Uh, baseball, I stopped playing um, freshman year. Um, but yeah, that was it. It was, I played tournament soccer where we, you know, go travel around the region to play tournament baseball where we, you know, mostly travel around the state, but we'd also do some tournaments other places. Um, the love though was football for sure. And, uh, that was kind of the plan, you know, going through high school and all that. Um, I've touched on it before. Yeah. I didn't get like, basically didn't get a lot of recruiting offers and stuff like that. So started figuring out like, you know, what could I do with this competitive spirit and where could I put it? And eventually, you know, landed on MMA. I'd always kind of seen it and stuff like that and, and been a fan of it. But um, 
after high school, I kind of, you know, decided to just try it and take a few classes, and it's kind of led me from there. We can go on, I guess, about since the, the MMA thing started and all if you want, but I guess regarding childhood, it was it was basically, dude, like a lot of sports. Um, I had everything I needed. My parents, you know, I wouldn't say we were wealthy by any means, but um, for sure, you know, middle class, and my mom and dad, it's it's my mom and dad worked really hard. It was, they would drive us all over, play, take us to all of our sports, and then you know, be driving the next morning and, and most of the time doing both. My dad, uh, I remember him, he'd get up every, pretty much every day of the week, you know, four o'clock. He was a, a teacher and then a, a principal and he's always worked with kids and stuff like that. And um, yeah, man, they gave us everything we needed. They, they provided pretty much every opportunity we could ask for and, and always supported us and stuff we did. And uh, yeah, just a lot of sports, a lot of getting, you know, little tips with my older brothers that I mostly got wrecked in. But now it's funny, dude, now that I know how to like wrestle and, you know, fight and stuff, every time we, you know, start wrestling a little bit, they're like, oh, okay, we're done. We're done. <laughs> payback anymore, but that's about it, man. I had an older sister and, and I, I think I lost every fight until the one in the eighth grade. I think she was like, I was in, she's probably three years, three and a half years older than me, three years older than me. And, uh, she won every fight until the one I won. I won one in the eighth grade and then that was it. And I remember my dad being like, Hey, you guys can't fight anymore. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm, <laughs> I'm one in 50. I'm one in a thousand. And now, now the game's over. That's all it takes, dude. <laughs> uh, why, why do you think, did your parents push you to get into sports? They and, never and, really pushed me. And did your brothers, did your brothers play football, soccer, and baseball too? Did you just follow in their steps? Um, brothers both for a good bit. We played soccer. Yeah, we all played soccer throughout high school, and then baseball. They both played, but I was the only one to stick it out to high school. And, and then, and, I wasn't, and, and why your parent? Why did your parents put you in sports? And were you a good student? Yeah, I was always a good student at school. I was a B student. I was never like the, you know, perfect 4.0. Mom and dad were always just, you know, make your A's and B's. Or, and that's kind of, you know, what we did. Um, and they never really pushed us to play sports. But my dad was a coach of pretty much all of us from what I remember. And, you know, just being born and being younger than them going to their games. It's always like, you know, you want to be like your older brothers and stuff. So it was never like uh I don't know. It was just like that was kind of the next step, I guess, from what I can remember when I was five years old. You know, it's uh, it was just around us. So it was always something that I wanted to do. And it was something that we did. We play football in the yard with the neighborhood kids and wiffle ball and stuff. And they were all older than me. So, you know, I was uh, always the last pick. But <laughs> eventually we we turned that around. But, yeah, never was just kind of, you know, natural way of things. Who did you get your work ethic from, you think? Your mom, your dad, your brothers. Um, man, that's hard to say. I've had a, uh, I've had a lot of good people around me. All of them included. They, my mom and dad. They, you know, they kind of lead the charge. And my older brothers. It's I've had a lot of people to learn from for sure. And then also just being in sports uh, with your dad and, and playing with your brothers. You see that in a physical sense in the sport. And then you also. Because you have like, I'd say because you have positive role models and stuff like that to look up to in a home setting, it makes it a lot easier to identify those people and outside of that home setting, if that makes sense. So throughout my sports, just playing all my life, I can recognize, you know, traits and coaches that were good to have. And I, I just had a lot of people around me who, you know, 
tried to you sense that I work hard, sense that I was passionate about sports and stuff like that. And, you know, they really took their time and, and made a lot of sacrifices to pour their energy into me. And, you know, I tried to just be an open book of that. And it uh, I, I got it from a lot of places, I guess. Is your earliest memory of fighting all with your brothers? All the like the like just tons of wrestling that like turned into fighting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, I, there's one with a go-kart where they shot. They, I don't know if you remember those goo guns way back like 10, 15 years ago. It was like a little gun thing, but you had like basically like, uh, what is it? Not Play-Doh, but like gooier than Play-Doh, I guess. And okay. you could shoot it out of the gun. It made a mess with carpet and all. But they shot. We, were, we had a little go-kart thing, and they shot me out of the go-kart with the goo gun. That's probably the earliest memory. The earliest fighting one is... If we were doing something and I got pissed at my brother, so I went and grabbed a comb from the bathroom and like threw uh-huh. it at his face and then yeah, <laughs> after that. <laughs> but that's uh yeah, those are probably the two earliest ones. And just tons of wrestling, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you guys wrestled like my three boys, they like they just if 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 I don't assign them a task, they're wrestling. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. And like they're pretending like they're superheroes and punching each other and just all that shit. And you're, you're, where are your brothers in terms of age up from you? Steven, the middle one is 20. Oh man. I think he's 20, 28, maybe. So four years older than you is the closest one. Maybe so. Well, no five. Cause we were never in high school at the same time. So yeah, okay. five years apart. And then Austin is two years older than him. And did they include you or did you just force yourself? Were you like, hey, I'm going to be included? A little bit of both. Um, I was always, I was, I'd say I was in the outskirts. I was maybe not always doing what they were doing, but I was always trying to be. And then every once in a while, they're like, ah, you know, we need a, another guy to make teams even or whatever. So then they would just like pass me the ball and then just freaking wreck me. But uh, yeah, I'd say they, they were good about including me for the most part. Tell me about soccer as a contribution to an overall athlete. Like you always hear people say, Hey, you should do gymnastics. Hey, you should do martial arts. Um, but, but a lot of great athletes seem to have an insane soccer background. And I'm assuming it's the footwork and the, and the building of the lungs, the metabolic capacity, but tell me about your experience with soccer and what it's contributed to who you are now. Yeah, I would say definitely the biggest thing it's given me is footwork and obviously, you know, the ability to kick and be comfortable with, you know, moving your hips like that. Um, it, uh, yeah, that's de- I, footwork for sure. I'd say is like the key component. And then also understanding like angles. If this football was good for this too, but I feel like most sports are, but um, understanding like how your body position, if it's, facing a certain way, especially if there's a defender around has circumstances and outcomes that maybe don't completely dictate how the play is going to play out, but they give you higher percentages. If you turn this way, there's a way higher probability you're going to hit the pass facing this way. If you turn this way, when you receive a ball, eh, it's not going to work so well. Um, and then like that uh, angles and all that and, and understanding um, just understanding that there's different percentages based off a small thing of, before the play happens that you can do that idea translates to all sports and especially in fighting. It, fighting is a game of, like you said, it's a lot of times it looks super random in there, but you can tailor those percentages. If you figure out how to like 
build yourself into certain patterns depending on what each fight needs to happen if that makes sense i hope hope i'm not getting too far in the weeds there but no no i like that you know one of my kids plays tennis and i and the only reason why i put him in tennis a year ago is because it was one of the only sports in town where they didn't make the kids wear masks and so i just shit i have no interest in tennis but i'm like my kid's not wearing a mask so hey you're gonna play tennis and uh so i watched the u.s open i'd never watched tennis in my life and you know the u.s open just happened last week did you watch any of it I didn't get you any of it. Anyway, so I, I I realized that holy shit, this is a game of percentages. Like when you have two guys who are the best in the world, it's like it, it becomes a math game. Like oh yeah, like hey, if you're better at rallying than the other guy, then you should keep this in a rally. If you're not better than the rallying than the other guy, you better make it ha- turn into something else. But it's a game of percentages, right? Kind of like what Mo did last night. Yeah. Hey. Really? He, the, 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 the odds were if he took it to the ground, the other guy wasn't going to get up. And guess what? He didn't, right? No, exactly. It's figuring out where your strong points are in a fight, figuring out where your weak points are. Maybe not even your weak points, just the, the, the places where maybe it's 20% that you'll win or 20% that you'll get this point. And staying in your positive areas and guiding the fight, understanding how to – or guiding the match into these certain places where you have a higher chance of winning It's that's what that's the game within the game, right? That's the little all the little battles that lead up to the big battle. That's that's all that stuff going on right there. Does someone teach you that or do you figure that out? Man, playing, I would say playing football and and really kind of playing with my older brothers and stuff, you when you don't have size and physicality, and this is true for jujitsu too, as I'm sure you'll probably heard heard of with your boys, but uh not necessarily having size and physicality as a tool in my arsenal for most of my sports career. It makes you figure out certain other way. If you're good, it makes you figure out certain other ways to be good and compete and, you know, actually want the older brothers to, you know, want you to come in in their game and, and be on, you know, be on their team and stuff. It makes you figure out, it makes you explore the angles. It makes you explore these percentages. It makes you in football, I learned to, I had some really good defensive coordinators that taught me so much about the mental side and the tactic side of football. And basically it got to the point where at the end of my senior year, I could diagnose a play based off the first three steps that uh, an offensive guard could do, a lineman could do. And just by understanding what his first three steps looked like, I there was a high percentage that I knew where the play was going. Um, wow. So I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, that's like where a lot of my game in MMA has come from. I, I think it's just like taking in what my coaches have said, being coachable and trying to also, I think part of my, part of that is like my biology degree. The the thing that really kind of first fascinated me with science and all that was uh, I like cell, like, I don't know. I, I like all aspects of it. I like the nature part. I like the, you know, the intracellular part and all, but I remember one of the things that really fascinated me was those little videos of like all the little things that are happening inside of your cell at once. And I, I love watching those little videos. And eventually, like when I would recall things on test and how I learn things now, like whenever I'm taking in a new technique or when I'm visualizing like a fight, a lot of it, I think, stems from a passion and like watching those little intracellular videos and stuff and how these systems work together in like a, a way you can see, even though it's not really like here. Um, I think that's developed into a skill in itself, being able to identify tactics and identify openings that are there. And then, you know, understanding how to tailor it into your game, not necessarily using size and speed and, and power like a lot of a lot of other guys may use, you know. 
I'm uh have you read The Lives of Cells? No, I haven't. The The Lives of a Cell. I'm going to show you this. Okay, oh, please shit. do. It started, it started playing. Have you seen that book? No, I don't think so. Oh man, you really love down, though, this book. The lock. Yeah, The Lives of Cells and it's um Notes of a Biology Watcher by Lewis Thomas. There's I, I had a friend um it was it was actually my boss, the founder of CrossFit, and he was he was fascinated by mitochondria. And he would talk to me about mitochondria for basically 15 years. Those 15 years that I worked <laughs> side by side with him. And it, it's nuts. But I, but I but I understand your fascination. I was not a biology degree. I was a uh, college dropout. I was an undergrad for I don't know, 10 years. So you're um that that that's you said something really good in there uh interesting in there about being coachable so you because the question was hey did you learn this did someone teach you this or did you teach yourself and, and you basically your answer is a combination of both someone taught it to you but you taught yourself because you knew you you made yourself coachable is is tell me about what it's like when someone's not coachable would you see kids who weren't coachable well, what's interesting now is I'm on the flip side. I, I coach a kid's class now a, a couple of days a week and I do private lessons and stuff like that. And uh, you just you see a wide mix, right? The ones who are the ones who are able to understand what you're saying and one are willing to understand what you're saying and listen attentively. And you can tell you have their attention when you're talking to them. The ones who do that and then the ones who understand how to put your words into their body movement. Sometimes there's a disconnect, right? Sometimes like some kids will listen, 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 but it's just not, it, it doesn't quite connect. I think part of that's time in the sport and part of that's just overall like athletic development in terms hey, of- Hey, rotate your hip and all you see them doing is rotating their shoulders and you're like, no, hip first. And they just can't, they can't do hip first. The shoulders are leading or, or vice versa. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like the exactly, motor recruitment yeah. patterns and the words just aren't, Exactly. Now, now okay. it's not to say that they can't learn, right? It's just for for a for a student like that, I would maybe have to take the time and demo it for them, like right in front of them, so they see my hips moving, or actually, like kind of like like you you'll see. I don't know if CrossFit coaches do this, but I know powerlifting. Oh, I think I lost you. Yep, you froze. Like, let them. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, you, um, pick up with, uh, you don't know if CrossFit coaches do this, but powerlifting and then you cut out. Okay. Yeah. But they'll, they'll actually, like, if they want you to make sure you're engaging a muscle, like your trap or something, right. They'll tap uh -huh. on the muscle and make sure that you kind of fire it. Right. It's, it's something similar with a student who maybe has that disconnect of, you know, can't figure out how to put the words into the body. You, you give them a couple indications, you, you show it to them themselves and then they're able to do it. But Somebody like that, that's more of like a private lesson setting in like a, a big group class, right? Somebody who's, you know, where a lot of the practices are done. If somebody's able to make that connect of one, they're actively listening and two, they have that connection of being able to put the words and being able to put what they see into their movements quicker. You see those students just, I mean, those, those are the naturals, right? Those are the ones that, um, you know, they catch on to everything quick. I can show them this thing. And those are the ones who, you know, kind of start creating other, other moves off of, off of those moves. And, um, yeah, I, I does that make sense? A hundred percent. Um, you don't have an accent. You're from Louisiana and you don't, I, I'm not hearing the y'alls and I'm not, where, where's your, oh, where's your out, uh, They'll come out. 
<laughs> oh, they coming out. <laughs> my um, I go to a lot of kids' class. I'm basically a professional van driver. I have a Toyota CNN, and you know that's why I do my podcast at 7 a.m. and my kids will wake up and I'll get off with you and I'll spend the rest of the day driving them around. And mm-hmm. when I take them to classes, um, I and I I know I have a a bias because it's what I'm looking for, but I see that the kids who are having the most problems seem to be the ones who show up with like a blow pop in their mouth, or the ones who are drinking like the soda pop, and like the like I feel like the kids I feel like sugar has really uh, affected their their brains. Like forget about their bodies and making them, you know, obese. Do, do you see any of that? Like, do you see like, Oh yeah, shit, this kid, like these kids are spinning out of control. Cause someone just gave them a, a Coke or, 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 or God forbid, like, like a Frappuccino to a 10 year old. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Getting them wired. Um, I don't see too much of the diet side, I would say. Okay. Um, but I, in terms of your question. Yeah, I do think sugar does for sure. Like I'll, I'll see every once in a while, like if we're, if we're just hanging around the get the fights or we have somebody fighting sometimes you know uh some of the guys will bring their kids and stuff like that and i mean yeah you see them get wired up but i'm sure some of that's like the atmosphere and all that too but um in terms of yeah dude i think it's been vastly understated and i think it's been understated for kind of malevolent reasons and kind of malevolent uh and um as to all the detriment sugar's kind of been you know plaguing not just like you said, not just health wise, not just attention wise, but I think there's a lot of other diseases and a lot of other, um, like all of them. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> like all of them. Yes. Yeah. The cell, uh, speaking of cells, the cells hate sugar. Yeah. I mean, and they especially hate they like certain kinds, sugar. right? With right. certain combinations and stuff. And it, whenever you overload it and you have so much input, that's just fucking doo doo. I mean, what? They're like, what is what's going on? And then they freak, and then you got metabolic disease. Yep. Uh, how 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 strict are you with your diet? I mean, because you how you're you said you're 24. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because um, you can be sloppy. I mean, because of how hard you train, you could be sloppy. Bro, I am thick though. If I like, if I go, I, I can I can lean down pretty quick, but I can also pack it on pretty quick too. And uh, no. No, I'm, 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 I'd say 90% of the time, unless it's like a week to a week and a half, maybe two weeks after the fight, I'll kind of, you know, let myself indulge a little bit and remind myself why I don't whenever I start feeling how I feel. Uh, but for the most part, I'm buying the same groceries every week. It's, it's, I have my same little route every Sunday. I go hit this uh, all organic grocery store and then go hit a little produce market. Sometimes on Saturdays, we have a little local. Oh, yeah, market. that. That produce market in your videos looks awesome. Oh, fresh pickings, bro. It is the jam. It is the jam. Um, there's something about like seeing all the different colors of food too. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's this fruit? And it's like a dragon fruit. It's a big pink, big pink thing or whatever. But um, you know, I, I try to get the same groceries pretty much every week. Sometimes I'll like, you know, change it up a little bit. But in terms of like a framework, I, I know exactly what I mean. It's ground beef, it's quinoa it's rice it's some sort of vegetable it's chicken or beef it's yeah i've got a pretty good little framework i stick to a lot do you eat any um organ meat no i need to though i've heard i mean those are pretty rich in vitamins and all huh yeah totally um i've interviewed uh the carnivore md a couple times do you know have you know that guy uh paul saladino yeah absolutely 
Yeah, you might um, check out his stuff. You know what's crazy is he just got kicked off of uh, Instagram. I think he has a new. He started a new account. He got kicked off of Instagram because some of the shit he was saying was controversial. It's not controversial at all, at all. Um, you know, uh, my 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 prejudice and my judgment is like, hey, a twenty four year old fighter out of Louisiana would he would never talk about going to a farmer farmer's market and the color of vegetables, and he would never be a biology um, uh, major. The only thing that kind of fits is like um, that you're a UFC fighter, right? Like he lives in Louisiana, he's just trying to get out, and it, it's it's so refreshing talking to you and having like like my mold and my judgments like just broken, right? Like. Like yeah, you're 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 a crazy, well-rounded person, and, and you also have had a the same girlfriend for ten years. Ooh, that's a little rough. Stop it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we we oh. actually ended up trying to go our separate ways back in December, I believe. Yeah. Okay, I apologize. I apologize. Oh no, worries, dude. That, that that that's what I get for digging around on your Instagram. Going <laughs> all good, dude. That's all good, bro. Um, is is your is it? Is, does a lot of that have to do with your career? Is your career – are you extremely focused? Or do you live at home, by the way? Uh, yeah, I used to live uh, – up until January and December of this past year, I lived with uh, some roommates that – whenever I first moved down to Lafayette, I lived with them pretty much the whole way through until January. Uh, now I'm living living by myself, but first year of college when I was in Baton Rouge, I lived in my parents' house. And, I mean, all the way up until then, lived in my parents' house. Why um, move out? Whenever I left to go, so a little bit of context, I started training uh, senior year of high school and carried that on through my freshman year of college at LSU in Baton Rouge. Um, And then in the summer, I remember one of the guys from the gym who had kind of taken me under his wing there. It was a little bit smaller gym and not too many fighters and stuff. And uh, he just he just basically told me, it's like, look, dude, you you have some potential, but like, if you really want to do something in the sport, like you, you got to go to a gym where that's kind of, maybe it's not the focus and all, but you know, that's part of what they do there. And uh, so I took his advice and uh, I started, I was still work. I was waiting tables in Baton Rouge at the time. And my, who I ended up moving in, they were already down here going to college and they had moved everything back for the summer. There was no furniture, no TV, no nothing. Uh, but they had an apartment room, so I'd go sleep in their apartment. You know, they had some bed with no sheets on it and stuff. I'd bring my, bring a little lunchbox down, and I'd do that a, probably two Those days. are the best days of your life, buddy. Those are going to be the oh, best yeah. days of your life. <laughs> it paid off awesome. now, huh? But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd do that. I'd go down on the weekend and train at Gladiators, and then after of doing that, I, uh, I knew. Like, I, I knew I had to move, so... Uh, started making the plans for that. I moved down here for my sophomore year of college and then started going through, uh, I mean, just training since then. And so, to answer your so question, there's a, a distance issue. Your gym's too far away from your parents' house. And it's, I mean, if I got to get, like, I still go back on the weekends a good bit. It's about, I'd say an hour and a half away, you know? Okay. Do you think you would live at home if your gym was closer to your parents' house? Would you still be living at home? No, no, no. for sure. No, you're ready. You're ready to get out. <laughs> Yeah, bro. I like, uh, I like having my own little space for sure. I always, always kind of have, you know. Oh, I, I was the exact opposite of you. I never wanted to get kicked out of the nest. I was. No, yeah. I had, I had to be. Yeah, I had to be kicked out a dozen times. I said, <laughs> if I didn't have kids and a wife, I'd still move back in with mom. I'm hey, like, bro, the food's good, huh? It just life was life's good. My mom was so good. Um, 
uh, how, when did you know you were going to be a biology major? So you're in high school. And, and were you a st- good student because you were a good student, or was it because um, your dad was a principal and you felt like, I, I better not screw this up. There's a lot of eyes on us. It was a, I'd say it was a lot of things all kind of spurred on by sports, right? So I went to private school and at all, I don't, I think this is like for public school too, but, uh, if you drop below a certain GPA, you can't play sports, right? So there's always that incentive. And then mom and dad kind of taking it at the next level. We're like, you better always have A's and B's. You know, you can slip up if you're really trying and it's a tough course or whatever and you get a C, but the goal, the expectation is, is A's and B's. And, um, I don't know. I, Tops is a thing down here in Louisiana. Basically, uh, you know, I guess it's state money or maybe it's federal money. No, I think it's state money for, you know, going to college and stuff. And they have certain requirements. Um, so I knew I wouldn't be getting a lot of scholarships and stuff from colleges. So I knew I had to keep my grades high to try to get grade money, basically, to basically partially fund if I needed to walk on or only got a partial scholarship or something like that. So they were always kept high, I guess, because of sports, if that makes sense. And then obviously, you know, dad's a principal, mom, mom's on it, making sure you're doing stuff and uh, all, all just kind of plays into it. Did your brothers go to college? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, my oldest brother, Austin, went for, I think he's got a minor in chemical engineering, a minor in something, and then he majored in, uh, what, uh, what is it? Some kind of engineering, bro. I can't remember. He's a engineer at one of the uh, sugar refineries down here. And uh, Steven, he majored in, oh, man, microbiology. Isn't that funny that he's an engineer at one of the sugar refineries? And we were just talking. I know, about right? Is it, is it, uh, who's the, we said, what, is it like B&H? Is B&H still around? B&H Sugar? Um, they used to have those sure. commercials when I was a kid. Okay. So, well, so everyone in your family goes to college. That's the deal with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Don't you need some sort of dark shit in your life in order to be um, the best at a professional sport? Like, doesn't there need to be something Especially fighting? Right? Yeah. Doesn't there need to be something driving you? Like, you know, like a, a cousin died, or, um, or, or, or you know, your parents are divorced. Like, 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 there's two formulas, right? There's the formula of the kid who's successful because he had two loving parents at home. And that seems to be like, you know, 85% of the guys in jail today, they come from broken homes. Like, we, we cracked the code on that. But then on the other hand, like, you know, whether it's, um, I don't know, Tupac or Mike Tyson or like anyone who's at the top of their game, some crazy shit happened to him as a kid. and But, but it seems like you live sort of more like this... Uh, you don't have that in your life. What, like what, what's driving you? Why, why do you want to be so good? Yeah, dude. So I've maybe studied that or investigated that a little bit myself. Right. Uh, I would say, I think you're right in the fact that a lot of the ones who have something troubling like that in their past or a lot of that dark side, a lot of them, if they haven't really done the work of figuring that out themselves and maybe healed from it, I guess you would say, a lot of them maybe get that success, but then derail themselves outside of their sports, you know, sports arena in some other way. And, you know, it's a, some of them are flashing the paint, some of them become great and then, you know, punch old guys in a bar. And then, you know, some right. of them, you know, it's, I think it manifests itself in different ways. Um, it's not to say that they all turn out like that, but I think it takes some work to to not have that in terms of um, 
And I've also, I've I've thought about that in a fighting context, right? I I look around and I see a lot of, uh, you know, you see Brazilian fighters, you know, who come from favelas, who come from literally nothing, and they fought and scratched their way to get here. You see, you know, these guys from Russia, these guys from Dagestan who are like living in the mountains and all this. You see, you see guys with, you know, real adversity early in their life, early in their childhood. And I would say one of the early things I had to get over was the fact that maybe I didn't quite have something like that right maybe i didn't have these super tough early circumstances like and your dad didn't very- beat you enough like you exactly. like like your dad I should beat you between the, <laughs> your dad should beat you for three years and then your whole life you'd be a great fighter because you're chasing that childhood experience of your dad beat i mean right yeah no like just some it's, textbook um, shit yeah for sure it's um i had to kind of navigate that and figure out like Okay, well, what is my thing? And I would say if, if I do have a thing, if I do have a thing that, like, drives me, I guess, it's that little chip on my shoulder from, like, going to all these football combines and wanting, you know, my whole dream or whatever, wanting to, for a long time, wanting to be, you know, to go play football somewhere. And, you know, seeing how I stack up with these guys who are getting recruited to go places on the field, seeing me tackle them, seeing me have more tackles, seeing me, like, just be successful against them in the actual arena we're going in and then going to these combines, seeing the same guys and because they could a little higher or run a little bit faster or we're a little bit taller, getting all these chances that I didn't get. So that was one. I wanted to go find an arena, find somewhere that it doesn't matter what you think of how tall I am. It doesn't matter what you think of how long or how, you know, how long my arms are, how long my legs are, how long, whatever. If I'm, if I'm being successful, if I'm knocking people out, if I'm, if I'm strangling people unconscious, there's nothing you can say as to why I don't get this shot. I can earn it with these two things. And it really has nothing to do with what you think about if I can do it or not. And I, I realized I didn't need to, I didn't need one of these, you know, horrific stories of growing up with absolutely nothing. I had everything that I needed. And to me, it's my job here to make sure that whatever I leave behind is better than what I had. And I, I've got some pretty big shoes to fill. I would say, you know, coming from parents like I have and coming from older brothers, like I have, um, I've had every opportunity and I, I don't take that for granted. I, you know, I, this is my dream. I, I can't picture myself doing anything else. Every other like day job or every other thing that I could think about what I would want to do with just knowing I could do this, it would just be, it would just be torture. There's, you ever heard of that poem, A Dream Deferred? No. Who who, who wrote it? Ah, uh, man, I'm not sure. I remember hearing it way back in high school, and I'm not going to remember okay. the whole thing, and I'm not going to remember the words exactly. But he talks about – he's talking about, like, a dream he didn't go after or something. And he, he at the end of the poem, I think, he, he asks himself, it's like, does it – does it wither out slowly and, and torment on long or does it, is it a flash in the pan? Does it blow up? Is it explosive? And either one of those scenarios, I never wanted to find out. I haven't chances turned down and like not getting opportunities. I wanted to figure out some way to keep going because to me, everything else just seems like, I don't know. This is what I'm, this is what I'm here for. So. Yeah, in in the and I know you're still um, early on in your career, but in the four part series that looks like it's gonna could be you know end up being a hundred episodes at the at the rate you guys are going, but you're on episode four, and in the beginning to in those four episodes, there's sort of this talk of like why do you fight, and it's like hey I fight because I like to punch people in the face, and then it sort of transitions by episode four, 
I don't actually, I, that's not why I fight, although I enjoy the fighting part of it. I fight because I want to give. I want to inspire people and I, it, it, in twofold, it, uh, like basically spiritually and emotionally, it sounds like you want to inspire people. And then in a more superficial context, you want to make money to give back to the people who supported you. So it, it, it's, it, it's interesting. If I, is that true? Did I, did I read that right from those four parts? Yeah, absolutely. And you nailed the whole transition from what it started as to what it's developed into. And um, I don't know, it's each time you, you let your your reason for, for doing anything, really, each time you let it evolve past the super thick, like, if I was to say my reason for fighting, if I was to tell that to the 18 year old kid that started training and like had just started training, like, hey, bro, this is the reason you're going to do it four or five years down from the line or down, down the line from here. Be like, what? No, I can't. Don't put that responsibility on me. I can't do that. I'm not, you know, it mm. would be too much. Right. So as you develop in whatever field you're doing, I feel like in order to stay motivated, in order to keep developing, you have to let your reason evolve with you and you have to let it encompass more things. And in a way, that's what everybody talks about and becoming and doing something that's bigger than themselves, right? That ultimate sacrifice or whatever. But you have to build it into that. When If you put that pressure on you from the from the jump, it, it won't work. It's You got to start it because you love it and then do it because you love it and let it develop into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, why I do it right now may not be the same reasons as to why I do it in, you know, two to three years. I know my family, we, we talked about them earlier. They're hard workers. They're smart people. They're going to be fine no matter if I'm, if I'm, you know, digging ditches on the side of the road, they're going to be fine. They're going to do their thing. You know, it's uh, at the same time, like, I don't know. I just, I want to follow their lead. I want to, you know, be excellent in whatever field I choose. And if I can help them do that, if I can help other people do that, just by being honest with the information I learn as I go through this thing, then, you know, then great. That's the, that's the goal. Did, did I hear you right? You said something else that I think is pretty profound that people should really hear. You're basically saying if you would have known how hard this road is before you started, you may have not necessarily taken it. And I feel like if you don't look back at your life and say that, then you're not living. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of like yeah. having kids. If someone like could be like, Hey, I'm going to give you this feeling of what the next 10 years is going to be like, you might be like, fuck that. I'm never having kids, but what a huge opportunity you would have missed. Oh, no kidding. Right. Man. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, go ahead. Well, no, no one, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to, uh, this is kind of a a bad example, but I went to a film festival one time in Kansas and I got in this taxi cab with this taxi cab driver and he was like 500 pounds. He couldn't even move. I'm not exaggerating. It was, he was so big that his seat was pushed back in the full reclined position and slid all the way back, but he was still sitting upright and it was during a lightning storm and it was fucking scary. And he was driving me to the airport. It was like four in the morning. I just left this film festival. I was at in Kansas and we're driving to the airport and I'm in the car with my girlfriend and the guy he's like, and he can barely talk. He's so, so obese. And he's like, I have to pee. I have to. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And he, and I'm like, yeah, sure, dude, pull, pull over and pee. But he stops the car and I should have known better. And he goes, ma'am, turn your head to the side. And he, and he unscrews this like Coke bottle in the seat next to him and he pees in the seat and it pees in the Coke bottle. No. And, and as, as this is happening, I'm thinking to myself, I will never forget this taxi cab ride. But this motherfucker wouldn't have peed in the Coke bottle. This would just be just a regular another taxi cab drive. But because yeah. this, this guy's setting the bar so high for bizarre car rides, I will never forget it. And it's kind of like that, like, because you, AJ Fletcher, have 
chosen a path um, that's so um, um, difficult's not the right word. That short changes it. Requires such a high demand. Yeah. yeah. A demanding path. You're going to have a million memories like that. Like every day is going to be like, oh shit, there's the guy peeing in the Coke bottle inappropriately again. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing, dude. Right? That's like, that's life, bro. Like remember, those little moments, those are the, the priceless things. All the, the amount of people that I've met, the amount of experiences I've had that, that where fighting has taken me, it's taken me to Las Vegas. It's taken me to Milwaukee. It's taken me to Florida. It's taken like letting, that was always my idea of, of what life should be like, you know, being playing sports, all my, like growing up and going travel the you know, right around the region really with my mom and, you know, go and play in Birmingham, go and play in Atlanta, go and play in North Louisiana, go and play in Lake Charles. That was like what I thought was fun, what I thought was cool. So to have as demanding as fighting and all is when I look back at like what I thought, what I wanted to do when I was little, like what I wanted my life to be like, it's become what I wanted it to be like. Now, granted, it's in a fighting arena, which maybe if you had asked me when I was 10 years old, you know, do you ever think you'll do this? I'm like, no, wow, that's, you no, know, that's way too rough, blah, blah, blah. But like you said, like you, you build it into it through a, a basically an 18, 19 year sports career. I developed myself into something that was, oh yeah, maybe, maybe fighting might be a good thing. And then maybe it was naivety. Maybe it was just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just if, interest if, or what. But. If you would have dig ditches for a living, let's say you dug ditches for a living, the only day you would remember would be the day that like you saw a rattlesnake or the day uh, some girl drove by in a pickup truck and flashed you her tits. Like, like there would be nothing you would remember. Every day would just be digging ditches. And, and right. you've chosen a life that's not like that. Yeah. Well, there's, I don't know. It seems like a lot of days I'm still kind of digging ditches in the gym. <laughs> you know? But it's, I get to like, do it with, with like-minded people and it takes me other places. I'm not, nobody can tell me where to go dig my ditch. I'm going dig it at Gladiators Academy. And then, you know, a few day, a few weeks a year, I'm going to go dig it over here halfway across the country or whatever and get to see a different place. You know, it's uh, yeah, that's been cool to me for sure. Um, tell me about the first time you met Dustin. How did your paths cross? Are, are yeah, yeah, for sure. He uh, he still lives back here. So in between his training camps, he'll come train at uh, the Gladiators in Youngsville or the Gladiators in, in Lafayette. And, uh, man, I'm trying to remember the first day. It was at our old gym for sure. I think he had just – I can't remember. Was it How long ago was it? This is probably – Probably four or five years, if I had to bet. And are you? And were you tripping when you saw him? I wasn't time? tripping, like because I w- I had been around Tim, I guess, who's, who's my head coach, and Tim had kind of talked about him, and you know Dustin's posters from when he was fighting are still like up in the gym and stuff like that. So uh, I kind of like seen him, I guess, and been around people who had saw him. So I got to see people who were like, "Oh yeah, that's Dustin," you know, Dustin. And also four or five years ago, I mean, Dustin's a glorified superstar right now you know four glorified. or five years ago he wasn't Huge. quite at you know that level right. just yet too so um and if you i don't have you ever been around dustin or anything no nope he's a lot of guys a lot of i'll tell you this he won my heart i was not i i i, I um he he I'm mad at him because he ruined conor mcgregor for me not because he beat up conor mcgregor but because of how he handled himself 
And I really like Conor McGregor, and I really like the show. And I'm like, God damn it, this guy keeps taking the high road. And finally, I just DM'd him. You know, I don't know whether he saw it or not, but I DM'd him like a month ago, and I go, Hey, like every time I see him, I just he wins my heart. He's a he's but but no, I've never been around him. Just I'm just like the person who watches him on TV, and he's bigger than life. Yeah, but man, he's, he's a gentleman of the highest order. How he's handled himself is like. He's a real one, bro. And when he's in, when you're in the gym with him, when you share the mats with him, he's very one. He's open to learning. Okay, so I'll share a story about. I guess this is one of the first times I remember it. I guess, but he's open to learning. He's open to teaching, and he's open to like he talks to you like a normal person. He you know says hey what's up. He, he like he'll joke around. It's he's a very down to earth guy, and I think that comes through on TV as well. That's that's who he is. You know, um, I remember the first time I remember training with him. Um, obviously I'm getting wrecked. I'm getting murked. This is way back. Like when I'm an amateur, I still get, he sat me down with a body shot about probably three or four weeks ago. And I swear, I'm still trying to pull my liver out my butthole, but (laughs) wow. Yeah. So he, uh, is that your first liver shot? Is that, was that your first liver shot? Oh no 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 no! This okay. is this was like a few weeks ago. The, the I know. I want to talk about liver shots. I'm going to make a note. Okay, we'll come back oh, to liver down. shots because I don't even understand liver shots. We'll come back yeah. to that. Okay. Terrible. Um, but this day in particular, we were like wrestling or something. We're doing like little takedowns and stuff like that. And I remember, I don't know if we were going live or if like we were just drilling. And I did something like cool. I think it was like an outside trip or something. But I remember we were just kind of going, and you know, I'm still kind of like shy. First day meeting him, first day really training with him or whatever. I remember I hit the little outside trip on him or something, and we got him. He was like, oh, dude, that was dope. Can you show me that? And I was like, what? What? Like him asking me to show <laughs> No way. So uh, that's like one of the earliest things I remember, bro. And it's he just makes it real, dude. You see somebody like that who's at the top of the world, and they don't – they're not like this big show. They're not this big, you know – untouchable untouchable titan they're they're down to earth and they're just they're about their skills and they're about what they do and they're passionate about it and you know they're a normal person outside of that some of his coolness even um it's kind of interesting watching jake paul go through what he's going through right i don't know if you've seen any of the stuff but but they were interviewing his mom and his mom was basically saying like yeah he's he really and and i'm paraphrasing he really enjoyed playing the heel and the bad guy, but to be honest, I don't. I think he's over it, and he doesn't want to be the bad guy anymore. And um, he, she was saying that about Jake Paul, and I and I kind of get that from him too. He's he's like a little kid, and like we he he lets us see his temper tantrums, but I, but he's also driven by the fact that I think that he's trying to prove that he's a legitimate fighter, right? And it, he's he's kind of doing the balancing act of making the money. But when he had those interactions with um, Dustin. Oh, with Conor McGregor, I saw even some of Dustin's mojo wipe off onto um, Jake Paul. It made it even made Jake Paul cooler, and that's when I was like, "Holy shit!" Dustin is sort of like now he's transcended the fight game. He's he's bigger than life now. Like he's he did it, and and man, oh, that was sure. a t- that was a tough road he towed. Holy shit, that was tough. People, dude, people don't realize. So and the fact before- that he beat Gage is even more insane. I mean that's insane. Yeah, the, his that's like list beating up. Was... At, that's like if I told you to go in my backyard and hey, I want you to fight my sledgehammer. Like, <laughs> what? You know what I mean? I mean, Justin Gaethje is just 
nuts. It's a car wreck, dude. It's a yeah, car yeah, wreck. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and dude, and another thing about Dustin, people don't realize, bro. Okay, so back uh, before the UFC really had a lot of the lower weight classes, there was something called the WEC, right? And then okay. the UFC eventually incorporated them. But the WEC was for, I think, you know, 25ers, 35ers, 45ers, and maybe 55ers. That was, you know, that was the highest level for those weight classes. And Dustin's first fight in the WEC, there was a fight, I think it was supposed to be Jose Aldo versus a guy named Josh Grisby. And Dustin stepped in for Jose Aldo. It was supposed to be a world championship fight, right? Dustin steps in his first fight in the WEC, fights Jonathan or Josh Grisby, and replaces Jose Aldo. So he's his first fight into the league, bro, he's coming in at a number one, you know, basically a title fight. And Crazy. he's to stay there for the amount of time and, you know, stay in the top 10 area for the whole time and then now have this run that he's on. It's a Hall of Famer. There's no other way to there's no other way to put it, you know. I'm going to say something really mean and I apologize cuz someday I'd like to interview Michael Bisbing, but he's like Michael Bisbing but with even more talent. Like Michael Bisbing like there was a little bit of like holy shit did he get lucky? Like do you remember those like three fights he won in a row like knocked out Rockhold and shit and you were just like oh my god he's the champ now. <laughs> but, hey, but 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 there, bro. He did. But but I, I feel like there was uh, some I don't want to say luck. That's that's not fair. But definitely going back to Dustin, he, there's zero luck. He earned every single like I'm never like, oh shit, he got lucky. Or like I would never be one of those people like, oh, Connor broke his own foot. No, no, Dustin beat his ass every time. And it's like, dude, if your if your foot breaks in a fight, it's not it's the dude still beats your ass. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, Dustin's a a real one. A real one in every sense of the word, bro. How is it your game? Your striking game is so good, and, and who am I to say that? I don't know shit about strike. Uh, not, sorry, not your striking. Your shooting game. How is it that you're able to shoot in, in the wrestling sense so good when you didn't do wrestling in high school? Like, I, I was watching your fight and your fights, and like you'll just transition like so quickly, like you've been wrestling your whole life. I, I, am I seeing that right? Do you, I mean? Do you feel super comfortable doing takedowns? Yeah, for sure. I'll say this. So. Whenever we watch like traditional wrestling, uh, especially I think it's folk style that's you know promoted at high school and college and stuff in the U.S., the the range for wrestling right is very very close, a lot closer than an MMA fight. For example, most of the time when we see wrestling matches, guys have a collar tie, there's a hand on the head, there's you know they're they're a foot away from each other. Maybe if you're a foot away in MMA, you're either getting kicked or punched right in your forehead. So there's no like, oh, maybe I can wrestle and be close here. That wrestling range is a lot different. And whenever that range gets expanded, if you try to shoot a traditional wrestler double where you drop your knee to the ground, um, you can still cut the corner and all that. But part if you try to do that traditional wrestler double leg from out far from an inmate okay. range, you're going to get stuffed. You're going to get taken down. You've got to have more of your legs incorporated. So me with a football background, knowing how to make angles, knowing how certain body positions line up, knowing how to form tackle pretty much um, and driving with my legs, you know, for football tackles has kind of taught me to obviously I've under, I've done deep dives into wrestling. I know how to do wrestling moves. I know how to shoot. I know how to do all that. But whenever you blend a football tackle with a wrestling takedown, I feel like that's what you get when you get 
my double leg. And I feel like that's what you kind of got with GSP's double leg. I'm not saying I'm anywhere near GSP, but if whenever I study these guys, that's what it looks like, you know, um, guys who are so, able to so close. Let me see if I understand this right. Are you saying that you're more comfortable from shooting further out, but not so far out that you get stuffed or, or, or you've sort of explained that to, sorry, I'm it's a little bit going over my head. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying a football tackle or how it looks from far away is maybe more applicable to the, to MMA wrestling than a traditional wrestler, double leg takedown. Okay. In tight for sure. Wrestler, double leg takedown, single legs, all that. Do I still have you? Yeah. 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 You just, in terms of closing, just a second. Go ahead. Okay. In terms of closing that distance, like you, I, I think driving your legs and doing a takedown that's more football oriented, I guess, um, is, is more, I don't know. I think that's where it kind of comes from, you know, has the fight game, um, from the fans perspective, it it looks like, um, the fight game is really, really changed with all the low kicks. Am I, am I seeing that right? Like in the last two or three years, it's like, Oh shit. Or is it, is it cyclical? Cause you seem like, are, are you, you're a student of the game, huh? I love the shit. I'm, I'm always like investigating little side areas and stuff. Um, go ahead. Are, are are low kicks like the? Is this is this cyclical? Like like I've only been watching UFC for I don't know five six seven years, but it, or is this all brand new? Or am I? What am I missing here? Or what am I seeing? I think one of the things that we're seeing is with the explosion of the, like why we're seeing so many leg breaks, everybody's been talking about the calf kick for about two or three years. Right. And we see it works, but with that, there's a reason, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, if you ever watch Muay Thai, there's a reason they don't kick super low on the calf, right? Yes. It's easier to maybe add damage, but in terms of defending, in terms of checking that kick, I know people say you really can't check it and all, but you really can. If you turn your shin out and you kind of adjust your stance, you face your toes a little bit more outward than inward, more of a Muay Thai stance than a boxing stance, you can check the kick. And I think that's where a lot of these leg breaks are coming from, from guys trying to um, use that calf kick and maybe not setting it up straight away. Um, I think we are, in terms of the leg kick overall, I think it's always been pretty, pretty in there. Um, I think guys are just getting more well-rounded now. Like their whole game, like jujitsu guys have leg kicks now. Obviously, the the you know Muay Thai guys, the the Dutch kickboxing style guys, they've always had leg kicks. But now we're seeing more people, especially more grapplers. I'm seeing using kicks to keep distance, and then maybe not feeling comfortable with that like hand exchange, and then using their jujitsu and kind of rushing in so they can start a. a, a a tie up or, and start initiating a takedown or whatever. But a lot of guys we're seeing now are playing that kick range. And yeah, we're seeing a lot of leg kicks for sure, but they've always kind of been, you know, pretty prevalent. I'd say, man, it just seems like, like incredibly hard. I mean, that guy had crazy legs. He fought Brandon Lewis. His legs were nuts. He was thick for sure, and 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 Mo took some, but but Mo seemed to handle him pretty well. I mean, I, I haven't asked him how his legs feel, but he seemed to take it well. But man, those look vicious. Yeah, is the is the how come we're not? How, is the liver shot the half court shot of basketball? Not just the three point shot, but the half court shot. Like how come? Like if I'm understanding the liver shot correctly, there's no man alive who can take a liver shot. 
the toughest, biggest, strongest, don't matter. You get hit in the fucking liver, right? You go down. Then I'm, why don't we see them all the time? Is it that hard to execute? Like, is it like the half court shot in basketball or what's it? I don't, I don't think it's quite there. I'd say it's tough to execute because you have to get in pretty close to, to do it, I'd say, or to, to do like a finisher, right? You can touch the liver and kind of make it, get a little uh, or whatever, but to really get a finisher, you got to be in kind of close, I would say. Um, and do you, you know where the liver also, is? Like, are you yeah, like, yeah. It's on your right side right here and it hangs down just below these ribs. So okay. whenever you hit it, if you don't want to try to go from the side like this, it's almost like you want to cross an uppercut with the hook and kind of like jab it up, like try to get it up under the ribs. Um, but you have to get in kind of close to do that so you can keep your elbow in nice and tight and all. And some guys, it's better too if you catch them breathing out, I would say. Like if you get them occupied, put their hands up, they can't see, and then they can't tighten up their core when they see you coming. That's when you see a lot of the dudes who, where it's just an off button, bro. It's you tap it and you tap it on a breath and you tap it right at that right angle. You hit the right spot. It's just, I don't know, dude. It, it's like, it's like your, your soul leaves your body for a second. You're like, Oh, I'm going to, like getting hit in the balls. Like, like, is it like getting hit in the balls? Maybe. That, but no breath too. There's no. I mean, the breath just leaves. So it's like getting hit in the balls and having the wind weird. knocked out of you at the same time. A unique. Uh oh, he froze. He'll be back. I trust the internet. I trust the Wi-Fi. Are you there, AJ? AJ. It looks like I haven't lost you completely. I still see your picture. It still says it's recording. Ah, there you go. You're back. So, 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 is it like some sort of combination, like getting the wind knocked out of you and getting kicked in the balls at the same time? Uh oh. I don't know if I can ask that question one more time. You froze again. Is that me or is that you? It looks like I have plenty of bars, but you never know. Jacob Flores, damn. Don't worry, he'll be back. I'm going to try to keep AJ on. We're so lucky to have him. We'll try to keep him on for another 15, 20 minutes. Uh, this is the most underrated podcast. I know, don't you think? Uh, thanks, TV. AJ, have you changed camps and shopped around to explore different techniques? Uh, Jason Watkins, he says Lafayette instead of Lafayette. Lafayette. AJ, I still can't hear you. Sorry, buddy. You're frozen, but I'm hanging in there. Please, any minute. I wanted to ask you who your agent is, who your manager is, how you chose them. Oh, my goodness. We lost him. Let me see if I can text him and get him to come back. Maybe he's done with me. Maybe he's just like, fuck this. This has been going on for an hour and six minutes. You think maybe I insulted him because I said ball sack? Let's see. Can you log back in? Someone just texted me. A friend of mine texted me and says, how is the coronavirus treating you? I'm good. I'm great. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I don't eat sugar, added sugar or refined carbohydrates. 
We had an amazing podcast going hour and seven minutes with AJ Fletcher, winner of Contender Series uh, Season 5, Episode 1 this year. He had an amazing knockout. I don't know if we're going to get him back. Oh, there he is. There Bam. he is. Bam. There we got Bam. <laughs> oh, you the man. Hey, what, 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 you had to take a piss and that was just, you just faked it. You just pretended like your internet went out. I just cut, off the, cut off the Wi-Fi real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Something I would do. Um, so, so the liver shot, it's, it's, uh, 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 it's, you can't breathe in a horrible feeling at the same time. Your, your description of nut shot and getting the wind knocked out. That's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, I can't imagine watching one of my three boys fight for a living. Um, and, and your and your mom, because my kids are like my Sistine Chapel, right? They're like my greatest creation. They are, um, they're everything. Like there is no Sevon anymore. I'm gone. And your mom talks about that um, in one of the in episode four. Um, on your podcast, what, what's the show called? Uh, it's called the. Is it called the Ghost? What's the name of the show? Uh, ghost Stories. Is the little... Go. Oh yeah, yeah. Ghost Stories. Episode four. Your mom talks about that. Do you help her with that, or is that her own personal journey? Like, do you talk to her about that? Not so much. Uh, they. I mean, she's kind of been doing it in some capacity. You know, football and soccer and all that growing up. Um, so she's had a little bit of experience with it. It wasn't like she's going in completely blind, um, but. Obviously, fighting take that takes that to the next level. I don't talk to her too too much about it, but I, I definitely understand it, dude. Even when I have like teammates and stuff fighting, I'm like watching like my heart races probably more than my heart races when I fight. Watching them, just knowing that you can't do anything, and you know they're in there and they've got to you know take care of themselves. But I think my mom and dad, one they they like videoing, right? So they have like a a veil over like the actual violence and the actual actual fight but uh they uh i think they try they've seen my work ethic they've seen what i do and they've seen my passion for it and they know that i trust myself in there and i think that's pretty reassuring to them even you know as as unassured as unassuring as fighting is i think that's a, a good uh yeah a good little little thing to have for sure it's a tough combo because you want your kids to be happy and you want your kids to pursue their dreams, and yet you definitely don't want to to see your kid get hurt. Have your parents been to any of your fights? Like, yeah, actually, yeah. there. Okay, and and that's where All they've done them. the videoing. Oh, wow. Okay, holy yeah. cow. Except, holy I mean, cow. except this last one, I found out like two days before that they weren't going to be able to get in. I thought we were going to get tickets and all, but they ended up with COVID. They kind of shut it down. But yeah, man, pretty much all all the fights. Have Have you had COVID yet? Probably, probably. Yeah, just be- I actually, be- I, I was sick last week and went and tested myself twice after all the travel and everything and came up negative. But I mean, I've had training partners. We've had people in the gym. We've had, I've, I've been around it. I've been, you know, probably. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, last, uh, probably, I don't know, 10 days ago, one of my kids got sick and then another okay. one got sick and then another one got sick. I have three boys. And when I mean sick, I mean just like kid sickness. Like we just keep doing the same shit. You know what I mean? They just have like a runny nose or they sound funny. And then mm-hmm. a few days uh, I don't know about a week ago, my wife got sick and then I got sick, but both the sore throats. But you just keep doing your shit, right? And right. we went and got tested and we tested negative. But then like 4 days ago or 3 days ago, she's like, "Hey, uh, I can't taste my coffee." 
So we went, she went and got tested again. She tested positive. And so huh. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I mean, who the fuck knows, right? Like, but I'm, I'm assuming we all have it now, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Cause it's a good excuse not to do shit. I mean, by not <laughs> do shit. I mean, like I just go to the beach every day now. Hey, right. get that vitamin D, dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I have COVID. Fuck, this sucks. I have to go to the beach every day. <laughs> it's um, uh, so I, I I can't really smell, but I think it's uh I think it's for a little bit different reason. This thing doesn't uh doesn't work too well anymore. <laughs> have you have you had your nose broken? Probably four times, I would say. Wow, it it looks pretty straight. <laughs> you no? nice, bro. Let me see. If well, I maybe get up. you're you're all pe- oh, okay. Yeah, you got a little on this side. You got a little. Yeah. Can you breathe through with- both? Can you breathe through both nostrils? Okay. It depends. I've noticed the right <laughs> one opens up a good bit once I start kind of working out and moving. But like now, or especially if I have a cold or something, I have to lay like on this side so it travels to this nostril, and then we can get it on out. But uh, it, when I was in college, I was super fucked up one night and I a bunch of friends and I we went to a swimming pool and we jumped over the fence on on campus and I dived in the shallow dove in the shallow end I'm so lucky I'm alive and I broke my nose and ever since then like one of my nostrils just doesn't like it just doesn't breathe right it's like you're saying like it opens up sometimes but most of the time it's not open and I have to sleep at night on one particular side or, or else I don't, the other side will just close up it's fucking lame I should get it yeah. fixed are you going to get yours fixed or are you going to have like someone drill it out or maybe do it for sure not while i'm fighting i've uh i've talked to people who've gotten it done and it's been mixed results and they said especially if you're gonna get hit again like there's just just wait on it if you do do it because breathing's important though yeah for sure and breathing out of your nose especially more and more stuff's you know coming out about that so we'll see melissa odier says by the way i don't know if you know this but we're live and, okay, yeah. and she, she makes a very interesting comment, she, which is nice. She says, I don't know much about MMA, but I'd rather listen to this guy all day than two-minute rants from McGregor. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Melissa. Thank <laughs> you. I'm glad I'm not quite on that level just yet. I, I, I will say this. It, um, although we've been introduced to AJ in the last hour and 15 minutes, and it's clear that he has his shit together, uh, very well-spoken, um, good son, uh, well-educated – there is a side to him it, that when you see his fights that, I mean, you are a jump up on the um, edge of the cage, scream your head off. What is that? Is that, I mean, that's just, that's just extra energy after the fight. Just burn. Is that like, um, like when you, when you park your car and, or when you test drive a car and you kind of like just push the gas pedal, like just to hear the engine roar. I mean, <laughs> for those of us who don't know, what is that after a fight that, that we see coming off of fighters? I don't know, man. I don't know how to describe it. It's just this like electricity flowing through you. I don't know how else to describe it. You got to go put it somewhere. At least I feel like I do. And the, the quickest way is to get my little legs running, bro. Find a cage, put two 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 toes in the in the little fence, and climb up and give a good, you know, a good yell. I don't know why that's my go-to. I don't know why. Like whenever I like finish a fight, that's what I do. But it seems pretty consistent that that's my jam. <laughs> But, and, and it's some Tarzan shit. I hope so. Right? That's I mean, cool it, it's some, it's some me. like, yeah, it's some. I mean, I mean, you see it in all sports, like you know, uh, you see, they call it a celebratory dance, but I see it more as like it's like, um, 
like a, a burning of excess fuel. It's like it's like a um, or like I'm trying I'm trying to think like you know like uh, 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 we never had an air compressor, but you go to, go to someone's house and their dad has an air compressor and they use it, and then when they're done, they like pull a valve so that it doesn't mm-hmm. stay pressurized and it. It's kind of yeah, it's, yeah. it's like that, right? It's kind of like I mean, you don't plan that shit, right? No, you're not like after no. the fight, I'm going to run up on the ring and scream. It's just just comes out dude it's uh i don't know it's uh I, i've always like my one of my favorite football players like i like i like the dudes who would like freaking nail somebody like a linebacker or something nails a receiver coming over the middle and then they just get up and let out one of them big screams but uh one of my favorites was ray lewis and that was like his jam you know he would wreck somebody and then give a big you know yell and stuff after uh i don't know why that's what comes out i really don't uh it maybe a little bit of burning excess energy. Maybe it's just a little bit of like, I mean, it's a mix of things, dude. It's, it's relief. It's, it's uh joy. It's, you know, in some ways, like a, a weird, your, your brain runs so fast, dude. It's like a recognition of everything you did to like get to this point of on the cage. It's, you know, in, in the last one, it was me climbing, a, climbing a cage. Like, you know, I just basically known that I achieved my dream that I set out, you know, you can say five years or you can say since I was five years old, either way you want to put it. Um, it's just, it's a lot of things all in that moment. And, you know, at the same time, as soon as you, you step down, you, you, you look across the cage and you see the other person. And I feel like a lot of the good ones who are, you know, uh, conscious of things that can happen and who are, you know, maybe, <laughs> are realist, you know, they see the other guy across the cage and they recognize that, damn, you know, any night that, that could be me too. So there's this realization and it's like, I don't know, that second part of it's like a sobering moment where it's like, all right, as cool as that was, it, it happened so quick, dude. It's like, all right, as cool as that was, we got to get back to work to make sure I'm, I'm this person every time, you know? Does anyone ever compare you to other fighters? I've gotten some, especially since the last one, for sure. Has anyone ever compared you to Michael, Michael Chandler? Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Have, you have heard that. I mean, what a great okay. comparison. Uh, the after watching a bunch of your fights, like preparing for this interview, I was like, "Holy shit!" I'm. I mean, like once again, who the fuck am I? I'm just. I'm nobody. But I. I see. Um. I. I man, I see something. Uh, very similar between um you and Michael Chandler, which is crazy because he's basically been fighting his whole life. And, yeah, and you're sure. base. And you're basically an athlete. Have you read this book, Bounce, by Matt Saeed? No, no, no. Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you a couple books. And there's another book um, called Range by David Epstein. But it's interesting. The book Range by David Epstein starts by comparing um, Roger Federer, who played a, a, every single sport, but eventually became the greatest male tennis player ever to live. You know, in in his time, and then talked about versus someone like Tiger Woods who at 10 months old had a golf club put in his hand and also became the greatest, you know, in his sport. But it's interesting yeah. um, to see that two guys take different paths, but, but yeah. reach the tops of their sports. One being a specialist and one being, you know, do, doing, not being a specialist. Yeah. Um, are, are you glad you took the path you did? Do you wish you would have started earlier? Or are you like, no, this is perfect. Man, I, I wonder that there's definitely, um, I'm glad. I'm glad how it turned out. I think I got a lot of skill. My takedown, I think, came from football. My kicks, I think, have come from soccer. My footwork, I think, has come from soccer. I think uh, 
baseball trained my eyes in a certain way to be able to react to certain things pretty quickly. Um, I think I took, a, I think I got certain things out of all the sports that I played that I found a way to relate to MMA. I think that's the whole thing with MMA. There's no, like people can say there's this ideal body type. People can say it's better to be tall. It's better to be short. It depends, right? It depends on the era you're in. Like you said, it's all cyclical. If we look at back at Mike Tyson, he was one of the shortest heavyweight fighters, but he had a style that everybody tries to emulate now, right? And if we look back before that, a lot of the guys that were at the top of the division were guys with big straight punches, Muhammad Ali types. And, you know, he kind of set the standard for that, who was a little bit longer, lankier heavyweight than a lot of these big muscled up guys before him. All these things go in cycles. And I think fighting is something really special because if I was to go try to play NBA basketball, there's a certain thing that I definitely wouldn't have that's almost absolutely necessary. It's almost like to me, the more specialized a sport gets, the more golf oriented where you're just doing this one swing, it's almost better to be like in it when you're young. But the more comprehensive a sport is, the more uh, widespread attributes you need, it's almost like it's better to be to play other things along so that maybe if I play soccer, it's more agility focused. And maybe if I play football, it's more power focused. But whenever I bring something from football to soccer, now I have something most soccer players don't have. When I bring something from soccer to football, now I have something that sets me apart from the football players. When you combine all that into something as free ranging of body movement as MMA, and you incorporate all those things, and you recognize your body style, you recognize how it stacks up to other people's, that's where the real artistry comes in because everybody has their own attributes, their own skills, their own physical qualities, their own mindset, their own uh, behavior patterns, their own psychology. That's why we, that's why MMA is what it is, dude. It's the ultimate unknown. It is the ultimate, whatever size you are, whatever, wherever you come from, everybody knows how to fight for the most part. There's some places that are better at it than others. I think like South Louisiana, I think we just got the best in the world, but (laughs) it's, it's, you know, it's fighting. It's, it's all encompassing, man. And I think that, you know, it lends itself to what I did because like you said, I wasn't a specialist. I did a lot of things. So, but at the same time, all those things I did give me something to, to weave into a puzzle for MMA that, you know, a lot of guys can't solve. I feel like, uh, AJ is a nine and oh undefeated as a professional fighter. Yep. Um, a couple losses as an amateur that he, um, has, uh, openly spoke about is probably some of the best things that ever happened to him. Absolutely. Are you prepared? I'm going to make a presupposition here. Feel free to push back on it. Are you prepared to be to 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 achieve the levels of selfishness that are required to be a champion? Are you prepared to um, Are you prepared to do that? Because some people aren't. I, I feel like aren't prepared to do that. And I don't That's mean selfish. I, I know it has negative connotation. I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean, it, it, I think I think it's the only way to become a champion and sure as fuck the only way to maintain it. Right. I think, uh, I don't know. I think that's kind of, I think I hear a lot of people say it that way, right? To to be successful in the sport, you have to be selfish. I think it's a little bit different, right? I or think a hermit. Sign- or a hermit. Well, I'm already right? kind of, already kind of do that. So <laughs> uh, okay. we got that covered. But um, I think it's just, you have to, Jordan Peterson has this quote, right? You don't get to choose if you sacrifice, you get to choose what you sacrifice, right? 
there are certain things I've sacrificed that, yeah, normal people may want that in their in their in parts of their lives. But for me, I understand that my way of giving back, even if it, even if people can't see that this is my way of doing it right now, I know that I have a plan five to 10 years later down the line that this is all leading into. You know what I mean? It's as much as I, as much sacrifice as I have to put into myself and my craft and as much as it may take away from other things and time that I could give other people and give, you know, give other things. This is a point in my life. It's assuming I live to be past, you know, 35 years old or whatever. This is a very brief period in my life. And to, to learn the lessons, to walk the path that I think I need to, to grow one as a martial artist, two as a human being, this is, like what I feel like I need to do for the moment. And this is how I feel like as selfish or as, you know, self-sacrificing as you can say it is, it's, uh, or as I need to be, I feel like, yeah, maybe it's, there's gotta be a focus in my life a, a good bit of the time where it's, you know, it's on me. But I think people around me realize that whenever I do have fightings and waves, right? We get these waves of a lot of attention, a lot of obligations, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of pressure. And then it goes like in a moment where I'm at right now, where it kind of sinks down and, you know, things are kind of dying down a little bit and you have time to, you know, start giving that time and and making sacrifices for other people and being there a little bit more. But um, I think people recognize around me that this is a where I've got a chance to really do something and a chance to really change things around me. And they understand that and they see where my heart's at and they, people have supported me pretty much all the way through. So um, I don't think I necessarily. Do you I, I have any I high have, maintenance people in your life? High maintenance people. Not really, dude. I don't, I mean, what, what I don't have any, anything high maintenance to give people, you know, I got this Good. bean bag Good. under this order that's pretty sweet, you know, other than Good. that, some posters on the wall and I got, you know, some coffee mugs and that's what I got to offer right now. You just got people bugging you to do podcasts. Hey, I don't mind it, bro. It's been a good conversation. People jumping on the AJ Fletcher bandwagon. (laughs) Oh, there's room. Hop on. Are you, (laughs) you win this fight and you know that there's promise. Like, I guess every time you win a fight, you know that, okay, that means there's going to be another one. Is it hard to like dial yourself back? I'm, I'm assuming a party wanted to fight the very next week. Oh shit. Okay. I'm ready. But then, right. I mean, I'm guessing like, okay, the ball's rolling, but, um, but you can't do that. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and, 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 like and who of- do you, who do you talk to about that? Do you have a manager? Do you have an agent? Do you have all that stuff in place? When you say dial yourself back, do you mean in terms of like training or in terms of like uh, everything, like sort of like more starting mostly with mentally like, OK, you win your fight. The ball's rolling. All the attention's on you. It was a relatively um, easy fight. I don't mean easy in the sense that um, your opponent wasn't um, absolutely savage, but just it, it, no everything damage, moved. Right? It was efficient. It was a very efficient right. fight. And yet you do have to like. Um, I'm assuming there has to be some sort of reboot. I mean, like we don't see the iceberg that's under the water, right? Like, like fuck the training camp. Like we don't know what, what toll the training camp took on you, the weight cut, the um, lack of getting to see your mom and dad or your, your loved one. Like there's a whole shit of damage or wear and tear that went on you that we don't know about, but also like you feel momentum. I mean, you, you catapulted yourself into the limelight. 
So I'm guessing you want to uh, take advantage of that, parlay that into the next. Yeah, no, it's, I would say I'm naturally inclined to be more of like a hermit style. I got my little books here, bro. I got my little drawing stuff. I got an Xbox if I want it. That's just kind of me. And uh, for sure, there has to be, I don't, I don't really talk too, too much with people about it. Dustin's one I get to, you know, bounce ideas off of. Um, Tim, I get to bounce ideas off of. And I also just, I found YouTube University is a, uh, for the most part, as, as censored as it's getting now, it's a, it's a pretty decent place to get an education in basically whatever you want, right? So for me, I've looked up to people in my industry and people not even in my industry that have, you know, maybe some certain characteristics about what they have to do that are similar to me. One of those guys who have kind of listened to this kind of take on is, is Israel Adesanya. He has a little YouTube channel. And one of the things he was talking about is I think he actually has a, a therapist or somebody he talks to whatever you want to say. And uh, he was talking about kind of the, the waves of fighting, right? You have to, I, I, I don't know if it's him or his coach who takes like a week or two, in the mountains or, or something just kind of to themselves and, and lets everything die down a little bit, but you have to have certain things in place, certain little uh, maybe landmarks that you, you know, you have in your head and you have in your activities to kind of recenter yourself and, and bring yourself down to like a normal pace of life, I guess. Obviously you want to ride that momentum, but I feel like I'm maybe don't have it quite just yet, but we're getting there of, of, of a fine tuning of that little switch of when to dial it on and when to when to dial it back. For example, I've learned that like my reading material, it just kind of happens naturally, but it, it changes as a fight comes closer. Right. So I was reading some sort of war book. I was reading the Muhammad Ali book. And then I just finished Hicks and Gracie's new breathe book going into the fight. Oh, now, yeah. Gonna, How is that? Is that I heard that book's great. It is. It's if have you ever heard of the book of five rings? Yes, but I haven't read it. Okay, yes. It's very good. That's very good as well. But if the Book of Five Rings was written now in an MMA context, in the Gracie family context, with old fight stories and old like street fight stories and stuff, it's this like very like uh, profound kind of, you know, insights into fighting and mindset in general. It's I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, OK, sorry, I interrupted you. So you were saying your, your reading changes as you get closer to the fight? Yeah. And then now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more like not, uh, you know, coming at you now. It's I have this uh, like a Stephen Fry's like the a retelling or what's it called? Uh, mythos. So like a retelling of the Greek myths. Um, I have what is it? Into the wild. I'm going to start on in a little bit. Oh, it's, wow. Um, yeah, dude. So it, it changes like that. I try to really whenever you. If if you if you polarize right on one wave, the, the higher the wave gets, right, the more attention, the more publicity, the more circus you get. Also, you have to like lower. It, there's got to be that balance, right? If the waves get higher, but my my low point, I say my low points, the low points in the waves where I'm chilling, if those stay the same, then eventually something's going to tip, right? And the same time, if, you know, you don't know how to rise yourself when that wave starts coming, you get overwhelmed by it. So. I, I try ah. to explore that deeper high like heights and also the the troughs. I try to, you know, make sure it's a, a good balance of going into it and coming out of it. Damn, dude. Yeah, we got a lot working up here. <laughs> yeah. And, and and fuck YouTube and their censorship. I really appreciate what they've done for the world. It's a better place than twenty years ago when there was no YouTube. Um people have more opportunity than ever. 
homeless people have iPhones now. People bitch about the discrepancy of wealth and how rich people are. You know what? That doesn't bother me fucking in the slightest. Someone has to go to the uh, Mars first. Let it be Bezos and all those guys. And those of you who are concerned about poor people, if you think poor people are poor now, you should look back and see how poor they were 50 years ago. Sorry for getting on my horse, but as you guys who listen to this podcast know, I do that often. I, I resent the fact that people who are not enjoying this amazing, insane, accepting and welcoming to everyone. And if you're not being accepted and welcomed somewhere, change your perspective or fucking move. Because there's fucking weirdos who will accept everyone on this, in this fucking country. Stop being a bitch. <laughs> well, right. said, well said, Sorry. That wasn't to you. That was, you didn't, des- you deserve, you don't deserve to <laughs> have me throw a temper tantrum. Um, AJ, I've taken an hour and a half of your time. I'm going to stay on the fucking bandwagon. Um, when is your next fight? We, man, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to okay. get one in before the end of the year, but not quite sure okay. just yet. All right, I am going to do two. Oh, and you're an Android guy. God, that's. I guess you're not perfect. I guess you're not perfect. Fuck. What I got I a Pixel too, bro. So not even like the Pixel Five or whatever they have. <laughs> <laughs> so we're dude. Oh, it's a pain in the ass. But at least you have a computer. So many people your age don't even have a computer. True. True. It's, it's nuts. Um, what kind of computer do you have? Oh, you have a Pixel. You just wait. No, wait. What kind of computer do you have? It's a Lenovo Legion. It's actually like oh, a little gaming computer. So, shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. No, no, no Apple products. Good for you. Oh, and, yeah. and you're young yeah. and, you, and, you, and, you, and you know YouTube censored. Jesus, you're a smart guy. Um, all the smartest people in the room have the Lenovas and the droids. I'm, I'm oh, an yeah. Apple guy. Um, okay, I am going to do what I recommend everyone else does. Go to your Google Alerts and type in AJ Fletcher. And that way, anytime there's an article or an update on what's going on in his life, you'll get it and we can know when he's going to fight next. Brother, thank you so much. Thank you, man. It was a good time. Bam. We're no longer live.